Good morning. We'll be in Exodus 34 this morning if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And don't judge me, okay? It's a, it's a long day yesterday. I could be in a mug, and then it'd be okay, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can see what I'm drinking, right? I wonder, what, wonder what's in your cup, Kathy. What a, <clears throat> what a great day yesterday turned out to be. Sunny, you know, and a wonderful worship. And obviously you experienced some of it this morning. Thank you guys so much for sharing your gifts and talents and for the Lord. It's just a blessing. Thank you. And uh, wonderful. We, uh, they did that. They just do that. I, you know, they just, they said, can we do worship for you? Would you like us to do worship for you on Sunday morning? We'll stick around I'm like, well, yeah. So, <laughs> no contract. <laughs> so I was thinking, please, uh, if you feel so led, uh, put it in the memo of your check or cash in an envelope and uh, just put Adelaide on there and um, we'll, uh, we'll get that to them, okay, before they take off. They're going to do second service too, I believe. Are you doing second too? Wow, awesome. I'm excited. So please do that if you don't mind. We'll make sure they get it before they go. Chapter 34 of Exodus, what a... What a beautiful section. I want to get right into it because I have, um, I have a lot of cross-references, so get your you know, Bible-walking fingers ready. Here we go. Verse 1, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Remember what happened to the first ones? He smashed them. Autograph copies of the Ten Commandments, and he smashes them, okay? So he, God says, God cut the first two out. He wrote on them and everything. He says, okay, Moses, you cut these two out now. It's your turn. Um, so cut these out. I want to I give these to you again. We're not going to throw that away. They broke them, but we're not, we're not getting rid of it. We're, we're going to stick to this, okay? It's a, it's a covenant. It's a contract. And so cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Not much there. I mean, except that God wants to reiterate what he told him to begin with. He does make it a point to say these are the tablets that you broke. Um, this is a thing with Moses. This is the first time he does something that wasn't necessarily authorized by God. The second time, hopefully you remember this, is he smites the rock the second time, and he wasn't supposed to do that. Um, there's, a, there's something about him, you know. Um, there's a thing about Moses. It actually keeps him from going into the promised land. It's one of the reasons he, what, he misrepresented God to the people. That's a hard thing for me sometimes. I have to admit that. I misrepresent God to the people sometimes. I get frustrated with people. Um, <laughs> recently got frustrated with people. And it's like, no, wait a minute. Is, is God frustrated with them? Is God mad? And sometimes I don't know if he is or not, but I am. You know, that's my response to it. I'm mad. <laughs> um, but he isn't. He knew they were doing that. He said, Moses, get down there. Now, he, he wasn't happy with what they were doing down there, but he didn't tell Moses to smash those 
tablets. And so he brings that up, and he makes sure Moses knows that. I don't think he's trying to teach him something. I think it's, a, I want you to cut these out yourself. You're the one that broke them. You get to make the new ones kind of thing. Um, but nevertheless, that, that's that. So he does it, and that's what I love about Moses. He just, you know, he does what needs to be done. You broke those tablets, I need you to make some new ones. Okay, I'll do it. And that's, a, that's just a really great heart. It's a great walk with you. I mean, you could do a whole Bible study just on that. I won't, but you could. You know, we blow it, we make mistakes, we do things God doesn't want us to do, and he's like, okay, I don't want you to do that anymore, and we just, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll, I'll fix this. I'll do exactly what you tell me to do to fix this. And you do. You just obey God at his word. It's, it's not a real complicated thing to walk with Jesus. To walk with the Lord is not complicated. He says, I want you to do this, and then we don't do that. Okay, now, now that you haven't done that, I want you to do this to fix it. And it's really the gospel. You know, I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. Okay, now that you've done that, here's what we do to fix it. You believe on Jesus, whom I sent to pay the price for your sins. And you do that. And that's just very simple, but that's what he's doing with Moses here. And so Moses does that. Verse 5, now, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and this is what he said, here's a quote, the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, that's the Tetragrammaton, that's his name. Uh, the Lord God is merciful, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, all three, but, no, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Tough chapter, tough, tough section. A lot of people take that one verse and they make an entire doctrine out of, out of generational sin, which um, if you'd read that verse only and you read it even in context in chapter 34 here, I could see where you come up with that. Wow, if I blow it, my grandkids are, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spank you so hard your grandkids are going to feel it kind of thing, you know. Um, you can see where they come up with that. But here's where it's a very important principle. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. You'd never let man interpret Scripture. Men, we have a tendency when there's a gap to fill it in for God, forgetting that he authorized this as is. This is the information I want you to know. You don't get to ad lib. We don't get to figure out the in-betweens. You take the Scripture at face value. It says what it means, and it means what it says. That's, that's it. We don't get to fill in the gaps. And so, if there's something we don't understand about that, or there's something that we feel in our heart, well, that doesn't quite seem fair. doesn't seem like the God that I've been reading so far since I started in Genesis of someone who would actually hurt somebody else for somebody else's sin. Why, why would my kids suffer? Through? That just doesn't seem like him. Keep reading. Whenever you have a question in the Bible, you're not sure about it, don't fill in the gap now. Say that, mm, keep reading. Go from Genesis to Revelation, read the entire counsel of God, and I guarantee you, he will interpret the scripture for you. The Holy Spirit teach it. Now, here's, here's where it comes. All the way to Ezekiel. You've got to get all the way to Ezekiel 18 before you figure out, now wait a minute, how come you can punish someone's grandkids for something they did? You can't. It isn't fair. It isn't right. There is no generational curse. There's no generational sin. Let me read it to you. Turn to Ezekiel 18, verse 19, starting in verse 19. 
It's kind of a long read, but it's definitely worth it. I mean, it's the gospel. It's amazing how this reads. I love it. Old Testament prophet, and he just lays it out. Verse 19, we start. Yet you say, why should the Son not bear the guilt of the Father? Because the Son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. He shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wicked of the wicked, or the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But, this is the gospel, if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all in the wick- that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn away from his or turn, turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Yet you say, the ways of the Lord is not fair. Hear now. O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns from the wickedness uh, uh, which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get, yourself a new heart, get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. I love it. Who, gets paid, who pays for their sins? We do. Each person, individually. But you've got to get all the way to Ezekiel. Now, now what is he saying then there? We've got to figure that out. He, we know what he's not saying. He's not saying that my kids are going to be punished for my sins. He's not saying that. He just clarified that in Ezekiel. So what could it possibly be? We've got two choices. We've got two choices. One of them is our sin does affect people. You get a drunk driver that decides to sin. Maybe it's dad. Pours all the kids into the car. Runs headlong into somebody else. Everybody suffers because of dad's sin. Everybody suffers because of that. Very possible that's what he's talking about. It just carries on. Or it makes my kids and my grandkids have to be overcomers. Honestly, dad's an alcoholic. Kid has to make a choice. Am I going to follow dad's? Am I going to be like my dad because every kid wants to be like their dad? Or am I going to be like my mom because I want to be, everybody wants to be like their mom, you know, because that's the most important person in their life? Or am I going to change? You know, some of you have had to do that. 
Some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes. Some of you didn't have that home life that was devoted to Jesus Christ and followed his ways and had that love that was amazing. Not a fleshy love, not a, not a human love, but an agape love that comes from God only and their relationship with him. And you didn't grow up in that. And you didn't want to repeat that in your home. You wanted that agape love. And so you had to be an overcomer. You had to overcome these things. You had to change your ways because what you had learned from your parents wasn't biblical, wasn't right. It may have been all you've known. You started to follow their path, but then you ran into Jesus Christ. You ran into his word, and you're like, I, that's what I've been looking for. That's what was missing. One of those two possibilities. Either way, the responsibility is on us. Don't sin. Follow the Lord. Walk with him. And when you do sin, fess up. Get right with him. Just turn back to him. That's all. What a beautiful heart in Ezekiel 18 is God says, I just want you to turn back to me. I just want you to turn back to me. Turn and live. <laughs> just turn and live. What a, what a wonderful proclamation from God who made everything and wrote everything and gave us everything we need. All I want you to do is turn and live. It's those who die in their sin. Those are the ones. Those are the ones that actually, well, they get separated from him eternity. For eternity, they go to hell. Don't die in your sins. There's no reason to. That's what he says. Why should you die? There's absolutely no reason. All you have to do is turn back to me. Wonderful. Verse 8, back in Exodus 34. So, Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Moses asks the right question at the right time, he seems. You know, God's kind of soft right now. He's talking about mercy and grace. I heard that. I heard that. Hey, please go with us. Please go with us, even though. And that's the, that's the key right there. It's that even though. It's that acknowledgement. I, I am a sinner. I, I know who I am. I believe you at your word. What you say about me is true. I believe that. Please, would you st- even though. Would you still go with me? Would you walk with me? We don't want to be a stiff-necked people, but we recognize that we are. That's repentance. That's not even a promise to God, and we're never ever going to do it again. You know how many times they say that? We will always follow the ways of Moses. We will always follow the ways of Joshua. We will follow them to the ends of the earth, and then they never do. Right? He never asked us for all those vows and all those promises. He just wants us to turn. Turn back towards me. Turn your face towards me, and your back towards sin. They happen at the same time even though we're a stiff-necked people. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't agree to this question or this request of Moses because he asked at the right time and he was soft and he was vulnerable and God wasn't paying attention. He does it because that's his heart. God doesn't agree to anything he doesn't already want to do. We just pray in accordance with his will. Would you, would you be with us even though we're stiff-necked? Of course I will. I've always wanted to be with you. I've never wanted to be separated from you. I don't find any pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't like that. Of course I will. God answers this because it's his will. And that is so comforting to know about our Lord. He's not against us. He's not a hammer ready to fall on our heads. He is for us. I want you to do well. I want you to succeed. It's like a kid learning how to walk, right? We go over this all the time. Little toddlers following along the couch, you know, and they're just taking their little steps and then they step away. You know, and you know as a parent what's going to happen. They're not going to, you know, doing hurdles down the stretch. You know, they're going to 
boom, fall. And they look at you and you're like, that's okay. You were trying. Okay, now you fell. We got to get up now. Now get up and let's keep trying and keep walking and keep working at this. Pretty soon they're off and running. Boy, you got to be a patient father and a patient mother for that, don't you? You know, I was that dad. I still am that dad. Giving kids toys they weren't ready for. You know, you look at the age requirements on him. It says eight and up. He's three. He's fine. You know, he'll be okay. I always, I do that with my kids. It's like, he can't even hold the bat. He'll be fine. He's, you know, here's a, I'll use it. You know, he can't, dragging it on the dirt. Okay. Our God, it, it, you want him to do well. You want him to succeed. You're excited. And as a human father, you might, I might, you may not do this, but I do push them a little ahead of their abilities. You know, I call it stretching. You know, my wife calls it mean. Um, <laughs> but our God knows just how much to stretch us. He knows just how much to push us. He never gives us more than we can bear. He never gives us enough to snap us. He just gives us enough to stretch and get stronger. You know, that's the key to weightlifting. That's the key. Don't hurt yourself. I'd have Fernando give a whole talk on this. Don't hurt yourself. He's, the, he's like a trainer, you know, kind of thing. Don't hurt yourself, but you can build muscle, but don't hurt yourself because what good is that? But you can build, you can stretch, you can, you can shred those muscles a little bit, separate them, and then they fill in with more cells. And pretty soon, you know, well, you're, you're, well, you're buff, you know, kind of thing. You're strong. You can lift things you couldn't lift before. And that's God's heart for us spiritually. He'll stretch us a little bit, but never enough to break us, never enough to break us. So will he walk with us, even though we're stiff-necked people, even though we fall, even though we sin? Of course he will. That's a father's heart who wants to train up a child in the way he should go. He wants to train us up. He wants us to do well. He wants us to be scholars. He wants us to be spiritual giants. He wants us to know him better than anybody's ever known him before. He wants that for us. And that's exciting. If he wants that, all you have to do is submit, and it'll happen. That's exciting. All right, verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvelous, uh, I'll do marvels, excuse me, marvels such as such have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. Very important. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, uh, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot, uh, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you, uh, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons. And his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. Warns them about that. I'm driving these people out for a reason. I don't want you to make deals with them. You know, there's one group he doesn't mention there, and that's the Gibeonites, and they are in the land. Take out the Hittites, I'm going to take out the Perizzites. And he, he names everybody but the Gibeonites. Does anybody know why? It's because of Joshua 9. The Gibeonites were smart. 
as the Joshua leads the people into the promised land, and they begin to wipe out these people, taking out these groups, and God is removing them and giving Israel the land now. They're getting evicted, and the new tenants are moving in, basically. The Gibeonites, they didn't want that, so they dressed up like they were from a faraway land. They had moldy cheese and bread, and they had tattered clothes, and they show up on Joshua's doorstep and say, hey, we'd just like to make a treaty with you. And they're like, you're not from, and I'm making this up. This is not exactly how it goes. You can read it in Joshua 9, but you're not from across the hill, are you? No, we're not from across the hill. We're from fear, you know, clear over here. Well, I guess we can make a treaty with you because you're not a part of those groups that we're not supposed to make treaties with. Well, it turns out they were lying. They were just over the hill. They were one of the groups that was supposed to be evicted, but Joshua had made a vow. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't wait on God. He didn't ask for the truth to be revealed, to show him, for the veil to be lifted, for the truth to come out. And he made a deal with these Gibeonites. And it was their downfall. And he thought he punished them by making them wood carriers, servants, slaves for the nation of Israel. Well, if we're going to keep them here, we're going to make them, you know, slaves. But they started to intermingle. And they started to give each other husbands and wives and from their sons and daughters, and they started to worship these other, they started to play the harlot. That's kind of a hard thing for us to understand. God describes the body of Christ, and he describes his people in the Old Testament, the body of Christ, in these two ways. We are a body, knit together, different pieces, different parts, but he also calls us the bride of Christ. We're the bride. As a unit, we're the bride. That's what he means here. You're my bride. I don't want you with other men. You're my bride. We don't share. We don't play the harlot with these other gods. God says, I am your God. No other gods. I, I'm not, it's not an open marriage with the Lord. It is me, and that's it. And he's very adamant about that. If anything gets in between me and you, I'm a jealous God, he says. I'm a very jealous God. It's just you and me. No others. So make sure you don't have any of these others in your midst. Make sure you take out all of these things that used to tempt you, that could tempt you. So let's take this into the New Testament here with our walk with Jesus as the bride of Christ. Is there anything at all in our lives that tempts us and lures us away from our God to worship Him and leads us into harlotry, and leads us into another way, another man's arms, basically, another God's arms needs to go. Don't make a covenant with it. We don't make deals with it. We don't just say, I'm only going to visit him on the weekends and I'll be married for the week. We don't do that. None of it. It all has to go. Well, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just flirting with it on Facebook or I'm just flirting with it on the internet or whatever. Mm -mm. Make no covenant with anything that's going to draw you away from God, make no covenant with it. Make no deals with it. Completely eradicate it from your life. That, that radical walk with Jesus where everything goes that's not of Him, everything goes that causes me to be distracted or tempted away from Him. It's got to go. That's the idea. So he warns him about that. Don't play the harlot. Make sure you get rid of these people because that's what's going to happen. Verse 18, here's another thing I want you to do. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. I want you to do that. I want you to remember to eat that unleavened bread the way I took you out of Egypt. I want you to be reminded of that time, how you didn't have time to have leaven. We took you out before 
the bread could rise. It was kind of a radical departure is the idea. We got out of there quickly. Um, I want you to remember that once a year. Remember that. And as Christians, we need to remember that. It was a radical departure from the world, a radical departure from our sin life, a radical departure from our flesh. And it's important to remember that. We don't need to relive our sins and beat ourselves up over them again. That's not what I'm saying. But remember how you got saved. Remember who led you out of Egypt. Remember who did marvelous works, who touched your heart, changed you from the inside out. It's good to remember that. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fortitude. It wasn't my guts. It wasn't my uh, discipline. It was Jesus. It was his Holy Spirit removing all the Gibeonites in my heart. Well, (laughs) I picked the wrong group, didn't I? The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, all these things, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these groups in my heart that were attractive to me, he removed. Unfortunately, many of us still have those Gibeonites kind of wandering around in there. And that's what God says. You've got to get rid of that stuff. You've got to get rid of those people. So, Remember that. Once a month, I want you to remember how I radically took you out of Egypt and the wonders that I did for you. Verse 19, all that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break its neck or break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Seems kind of extreme making a point. I, I want you to, everything is mine, not, not with people. People were offered, you know, like when, when Jesus opened the womb, he, there was a sacrifice for him. They actually did, did two doves as they did that, but you, if you couldn't afford the lamb, you could do two doves and so on. And, and that's what they did to redeem him. There had to be that redemption. I want the firstborn. I want them. Except for this donkey. If, if, you, if, you, if, he, if he, I don't want you to kill him. I, don't, I, wanna, I, I want you to redeem him with the lamb. I want you to take this, you know, donkeys are known for being stiff-necked. Take this stiff-necked thing and, and, uh, and uh, redeem him with the lamb. And if not, you can break his neck. Well, that's not much of an option, is it? Of course you're going to redeem him with the lamb. And I think that's his point. Well, if you don't want to redeem him with the lamb, that's fine. Just kill him. Well, no. Beast of burden, I mean, he's really useful. He's really valuable. I'm not going to just break his neck. Okay, then the lamb is the idea. It's not okay. You have to show up with the lamb. It has to be redeemed or it dies is what he's getting at. And that's why he finishes up there in that last section of verse 21. And none shall appear before me empty-handed. We best not show up in heaven empty-handed. We best be with Jesus We best have trusted in him for our salvation. Don't show up empty-handed. You're like the donkey then at that point. You've got to be redeemed. We have to be redeemed. You have to be redeemed with the lamb. And Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. Don't let those, don't let the pressures of weather, don't let the pressures of whatever it is, convince you that I've just got, I got to work through it. I can't, I can't rest. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Look, and he's trying to give us some trust, a little bit of faith. Do I have this or do I not have this? Is it really dependent upon you or is this dependent upon me? Is your crop going to fail or succeed based on you not resting or do I have this? I want you to take this rest. Now, of course, that seventh day rest is clarified in Hebrews 4 where Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest from all of our works. I'm not trying to put a legalistic thing on you, okay? I'm not trying to do that. 
but it is something to note that he's trying to teach the children of Israel something. You're, you're not going to do better with your finances if you work that extra day. You're not. That's a hard thing for me sometimes. I remember when I was working in the factory, you, you got this much. You want to work Saturday? No. <laughs> but yeah. You know, how about Sunday? No. But yeah, it's hard when you know it's going to be time and a half or even at times double time. That's, that's pretty good. And you think about that. It ends up being like a bag full of money with holes in it. It just, that's what our finance, that's what my finances have been like. I don't know if it's true for you or not. I've got a bag and the holes aren't all the way around it. They're just at this level right here. It doesn't matter how much I pour into the top. I'm never getting past this level. It just keeps finding another way out. You know, ah, I got that overtime, honey. We're getting on the vacation. Refrigerator dies. Oh, you know. That's how it is. And God's just trying to show me something. He's like, you know what? Be content. It's enough. It's enough. This is where I put the holes in your bag. <laughs> this is it. This is where you stand. Quit striving to get ahead of it. You're not going to go above what I told you you're going to go above. You know. Now he makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. Some people just, they got it. Their holes are way high on the bag, you know. Now, I'm making up a doctrine here. You can throw all this out. This is just my opinion on the matter. This is how it is in my life, you know. But um, he doesn't. He doesn't add any sorrow to it. Hey, good for you. I'm glad you're going to get that big bag. Happy for you, you know. I don't covet it. I'm content with what God's given me. You know why? Because if I had that big bag, I'd be driving a Porsche. I'd be dri- if you drive a Porsche, it's okay. <laughs> Donate it to the church and God will forgive you. <laughs> It's just a level. And he wants them to know that. And then to make a big deal out of verse 21, but he says, you know what? Rest, even in the plowing and even in the harvest, because you know that was on the top of their head. What about, what about when we're busy? You know? Rest. And you shall observe the feast of the weeks, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land shall bring, you shall bring, excuse me, to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. I did rapid fire there. He kind of picked up the pace there, didn't he, on a lot of things. Let me go through those again. I want you to come visit me three times a year. It's going to be okay. And he he qualifies it with, I've got your back while you're gone. See, that is the thing. That's difficult. You know, if I go three times, all the men are going to leave their land and go see the Lord and worship him. Who's going to protect our property? Who's going to protect our wives and kids? What's going to happen while I'm gone? And God says, I did all that. And I've asked you now, the one who drove out all those people and gave you all those victories, I'm now asking you to come visit me. Do you think I'm going to let something bad happen to the stuff I conquered for you. No, it's okay. 
three times a year. It's okay. Get away. Get away with me. Be with me. Spend time with me. Worship me. You know, I want you to have that time. I want you to all come together at the exact same time and worship because you're scattered, because you're out in the sticks, because you're agricultural, because you're all over the place as shepherds and nomads. You're all over the place. Three times a year, come together and worship me, and it'll be fine. I've got your back. He encourages them in that. He knows their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what we're thinking. I can't go to that conference. I mean, I can't. if God's calling you to go do this or go do that, if God's putting it on your heart to do that, don't you think he's going to cover the responsibilities in the back? You know, He will. He will. He says, do not offer blood with the sacrifice of leaven. I don't want that. I don't want that. Um, I want repentance. So don't, don't give me your blood. Uh, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. That lamb, that whole meal thing, I don't want it there in the morning. It has to be consumed because, and I think it's a time frame thing. There's a certain amount of time. In the morning, the angel of death is coming. In the morning, I want the blood on the doorposts of your heart. I want the unleavened bread inside. I want it that way. Don't be mixing that stuff together. And then I want that lamb done. I want that meal done before the morning. Look, it's an age of grace. There's a time period. Jesus, the book of Revelation happens. It's going to happen. There's a time when that opportunity to receive Christ, I've waited long enough. I've been long-suffering. My mercy is, this is it. I'm done. Sentencing day. That's the idea behind that. That Passover lamb, that Jesus Christ, our Lamb that takes away our sin is available now. But there will come a time when it's done. The end of the seven-year great tribulation, it's done. Whatever you've decided, it's made firm. Whatever's happened, it's done. Your decision's made firm. Then, first fruits of your land shall go to the house of the Lord your God, the first of the first fruits. Not all of your first fruits, just some. And of course, back then, uh, you know, Abraham had decided a tenth, and so that's kind of what they went with. It was a tenth, a tithe. That's where tithe, the word tithe comes from. It's a tenth. Um, bring that into the house, Lord. From the first fruits, not from the last fruits, not from the leftovers, not from the rotten bunch. You know, the best of the best is, is what God wants us to bring. And then he says this, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And I'm just complete ignorance on that. I'm sure someone's written a whole book about that. I have no idea why. I just don't know. But he doesn't want me to do it, so we don't do it. Um, Moving on. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with Israel. I want you to write these things down. For 40 days he was up there. For 40 nights he didn't eat bread. God supernaturally kept him. Remind you of anybody else? Jesus, right? Being tempted? Man. To, To be that satisfied, to be that nourished by the presence of God, by his word, listening to him. You know, I don't need to eat or drink. I've been feeding my spirit, you know, kind of thing. Neat. Neat. And that's not a typical thing. I mean, you could try to go 40 days without food and water, but he hasn't called us to that. It's not a doctrine. It's not something that we could do if we were ultra-spiritual. Certain times, God's done this with Jesus and with Moses here. He does call us to fast. He does say you can fast. You can do those things. But um, I fast three times a day. 
Right after breakfast, right after lunch, right after dinner. That's when I fast. I'm done. So I'm super spiritual. Verse 29. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them, or while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. He came down glowing, bright, you know, reflecting, actually. So when Aaron and all the children saw it, they were afraid. And when then Moses called to them, I don't know if they, they must have ran. He comes down, here comes Moses, and then it must have all taken off, because Moses said, come here. Aaron and the rulers and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them to the rulers first. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, the whole gang, the whole crowd, and he gave them as commandments all the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai, which means there was more than ten commandments. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not making a new thing out of this, but he, everything that he'd been told by the Lord, all those things he read about the feast, and all those, those were all commandments. All those things were given to the people as commandments. They're supposed to keep all those things. Um, anyway, so he gave them to them, uh, and when he finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whenever he had uh, been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. They did this. Go in to talk with God, take the veil off, get that full blast, you know, of God's presence. When he'd come out, he put it on because it was just way too much for the people. You'll find yourself in that position even as Christians sometimes. I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians 3 in a minute, and that'll be our last cross-reference, but you'll find that. You love to look at the Lord full on. I want everything God has for me. Your heart's prepared. You're, you're open to anything, God. You're, you don't, nothing's off limits. And so you read it, and you're like, hey, you know what? Change my doctrine. It's okay. If your word says change, I want to change. If I picked up some weird things, I want to be changed. I want to know the truth. I don't want to be deceived. Nobody wants that. And when you go to God's word and you let that light shine on you and you come and that Holy Spirit uses his word like a sword and like a sharp two-edged sword, and he cuts between the joint and marrow, between the soul and the spirit, and you come out glowing, you know? And people see it. You can see it on people. They come in. They've got this. It's, a, it's not a shine. It's more of a countenance. I think that's a better way to put it for us. I don't think I've ever seen anybody's face glowing except that you're like, You've been with Jesus. You could tell it. You could see it. You know, you're walking with God. You had a great time out there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah, I can see it on your face. It's amazing. Well, that's what Moses had. Then there's other people that are like, could you put a veil on that? That's a little too strong. It's a little too much for me. You veil that a little bit. Unfortunately, whether that's an unbeliever or whether that's a, I might be a believer someday or. Even some marginal Christians, sometimes they ask you to put a veil on that. Could you put a veil on that? It's a little much for me right now. It's a a strong cup of coffee to drink. I'm just not quite there yet is what they say. What that means is, could you veil that? I can. I can. But you're not going to get that full-on strength. You're not going to get the truth. I mean, you ever make lemonade for yourself versus the way someone else's mom makes lemonade? 
we're very strong on that here. And this is a very strange reference, but I'm going to use it anyway. You ever get that lemonade that's just like way too watered down? It's like, man, is there anything in here kind of thing? When I made it for a kid, my spoon would stand up on end. That's how I made my lemonade. And I carry that on into my walk with Jesus, you know? I want it stiff. I want it full-on strength. I want my face to pucker, you know? I want it to go, oh, I want that twitch kind of thing. When I read God's Word, I want it all. Everything He has for me. I don't want to be, I don't want it veiled. Everything you have for me, God, because nothing you have for me is bad for me. Everything you have for me is good for me. And I want it all. Not some, not veiled, full on strength. Second Corinthians three, and that's where we close today. Paul writing to the Corinthians writes about this very thing. <clears throat> Let's start in Verse 7, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, talking about this moment, the Ten Commandments, was glorious, and it was glorious to receive those Ten Commandments, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, in other words, the Old Covenant's passing away, the New Covenant's coming, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If you thought the Ten Commandments are awesome, the Holy Spirit's Way awesome is the idea. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. I'm sorry, because of the glory that excels. For if what it for what is sorry, it was late night. For if what is passing away was glorious. What remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Now, that's a very important verse. I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but until you come to Christ, and it seems like an oxymoron, but until you come to Christ, it's hard to get that. You can't get that veil off to fully understand the Old Testament and the implications of it. Come to Christ, and all of a sudden, poof, oh, the Passover lamb, oh, the feast, oh, the garden, oh, I get it, you know? You've got to come to Christ, and then that veil is taken away. But even to this day, he says, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. And you'll find that to be true if you ever visit Israel. You can look them right in the face. Have you, have you ever read Psalm 22? Have you ever read Genesis 22? I know you haven't read Luke 22, but let me read it to you anyway. You take them through those things, you're like, mm-hmm. How can you not see it? How can you not see that? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. It's almost like you want to, it's veil on, veil off. It's, it's there, you know. Now here's the thing. Same thing for me when I got saved. Took took God 19 years to get that veil off my face so that I could say, oh my goodness, you love me. You love me with an everlasting love. Your son died on the cross. I mean, before I got it, 
19 years. How many times did he try to, how many times did people try to come up to me and say, can I take that veil off your face? Not now, I kind of like it. And I just couldn't see, didn't want to see. The people that we minister to in, you know, day in and day out uh, that don't seem to want to come to Christ, but we keep trying, we keep telling them the gospel, we keep showing it to them, understand that that's where they are. They've got a veil. And we're trying, we're doing our best, and God is breaking through. God is working, you know. Don't give up. Don't stop. They're not dead yet. So things are good still. You keep knocking and you keep showing them and you keep reading and you keep using his word. Eventually, hopefully, they'll come to know the Lord. Eventually. Anyway, until the Christ, until the veil, until you come to Christ the veil. But, verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, uh, a veil lies in their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The more time, once that veil comes off, and I start looking full on into the face of God, I'm changed, I'm transformed, not all at once. Every time Moses went into the temple or tabernacle, every time he went in to talk with God, he took that veil off and said, shine on me. You know, I want to be conformed into your image. I want to look like you when I step out of here. I want, to be, I want people to see you in me. I don't want them to see me anymore. I want them to be blinded by Christ coming out of me. I want them to see that. That's the idea. That's what Paul is saying. Okay? Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. Maybe you do. Maybe you need to get that veil off. Maybe there's some things in your life that God's spoken to. You know, as you go through a chapter like this, or even three chapters, we were actually covered quite a bit in different parts. It's hard to say what the Holy Spirit did in your heart this morning, whatever he did. Whatever's the most prominent in your mind right now, whatever you're walking out the door with, that's just kind of just knocking on you. Do what he tells you to do, whatever that is. Trust him. Trust him. After second service at 1.30, we're having a baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't. But it is something you do after you get saved. It's your first act of obedience. If you've never trusted in Jesus this morning, you get the chance to pray with me right now to believe on Christ for your salvation, to trust in him. And then come out today at 1.30 and get baptized out at Mazingo. Please. If there's something that needs to change in your life, while we're bowing our heads and we're praying for lost souls and people are receiving Christ, there's nothing wrong with praying, God, you know what? This is what you showed me today. Help me. Show me. I want to know all your truth. I want to know everything. I want to see everything you have for me. Take any kind of veil that's on my face and remove it. Anything that's blinded me, anything that's stuck, any Gibeonites stuck in my heart, you know, I want them gone. I don't want to make any treaties or any deals with them. Every one of us should be changed a little bit this morning. So let's spend some time in prayer here. Ready? Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that my sins separated me from you. I know that there's no way that I can get to heaven, and so I am turning my back towards sin, away from sin, and turning my, back toward, or turning my face towards you, God. I'm repenting. I recognize I'm a stiff-necked person. I understand that I'm a sinner, but I know that you have salvation. I know that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins, to take my place, to take my penalty. We just celebrated Easter and we're so thankful for that resurrection. Thankful for that sacrifice, being able to rise from the dead. Jesus rose. 
which means he was the sacrifice, the accepted sacrifice. You put your stamp of approval on him. Perfect, flawless lamb. We thank you for that. And so God, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I turn towards you. I want you to be my God. If you're proposing to me this morning, I say yes. I want to be your bride. I want to be yours. I don't want to have any others. I want to remove and forsake all others in my life. I want to remove any temptation of them in my life. Lord, remove all the Hivites, Jebusites, the Gibeonites, the Hittites, all of them. All the sins in my life that caused me to, well, be distracted from you. All the gods in my life that would lure me to worship them instead of you, God, I want to remove those and give them over to you. Would you annihilate them in my heart? Take them out of my life, God. I give them to you now, and I turn from them, Lord. Lord, this afternoon we're going to be doing a baptism, and people are going to come out, a few. Lord, I pray that they're blessed. I pray they remember the day. And Lord, if there are some here this morning that need to get out there, not for salvation, but from it, because they're saved, because they've trusted in you, and they want that old man to die, and they want to rise to new life in Christ. They want to be yours. They want to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. They want to be baptized in your name, Jesus. They want to have a turning point, God. I pray that you draw them out. Lord, draw everybody out that's supposed to be there. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for last night, too, God. There's a lot of people that were touched last night. Maybe didn't come forward, but walked away with something in their heart, something going on. It wasn't for nothing that you did that, Lord. We know that your word always accomplishes what it was set out to do. It never returns void. And we know something happened. And we don't need to know what happened, but we know you do. And we pray for all those people that were touched, that, were, that seed was planted or something was started. I pray that it would have deep roots, God, that it would grow and that it would bear fruit in their lives and they would come to know you if they don't, that they would change if they need to, God that they would worship you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.